0: Welcome to the Core Kinetic Podcast. My name is Ben Cormack and I will be your host. The Core Kinetic Podcast aims to bring you clinically relevant information on topics throughout the clinical world. Also, some very, very special guests along the way, bringing you their expertise. We hope to deliver this with fun, flexibility and also some good solid old fashioned evidence. Nothing in this podcast constitute medical advice, but we hope you enjoy it anyway. Good morning or good evening, should I say bronze. Um I'm with my uh, friend and colleague uh, for this podcast Dr. Bronnie Lennox Thompson and uh, she's all the way over there in New Zealand. Um, so firstly, I'd like to say hi. Um, Bronze, could you just introduce yourself for us b- before we kind of dive into some deep and searching questions?
1: Um, how can I enjoy? Okay, so I, am, I have pink hair today because my hairdresser made me. Um, I work at the University of Otago, um, and I think I'm in an orthopedic surgery department, and I think they're beginning to get used to my... Quirkiness. My background's occupational therapy, and I did a um, master's in psychology. And then I went on to do my PhD looking at people who live well with pain. And most of my career has been with people who have pain as their primary problem.
0: Cool. Um, and I just want to say, Bronze, that you're probably one of my favourite people to listen to and read to. I find that um, kind of uh, your philosophy very much resonates with me, uh, and uh, and that's good because I like people who who stroke my biases and and tickle my. But I find it much more you know beautiful than people who don't. So um, yeah, so Bronz, you're definitely someone I look up to and respect, which is absolutely fantastic, and why I've asked you to come on and have a chat with me um, this morning. And I think that that's what would be an awesome place to start with this would be talking about the concept of living well with pain because I know that's that's something that you've written a a lot about and that stuff always resonates with me so give me a little bit of a rundown maybe on kind of and and I'll I'll, I'll probably pop in and have my say as well just a little bit on (laughs) what do you see as um, living well with pain I think that that's such a big subject but an important one
1: so the way I started in the area was reading a couple of papers. One was by Carolee and Ruhlman from, old oh, 2006, Yeah. Um, showing that there's this quite a reasonable chunk of people who've got moderate to high pain intensity, though how you actually report intensity, I do not know. I haven't worked it out for myself yet. Um And they have low emotional burden, so they're not bothered too much by their pain, and they're not disabled by their pain, but their pain intensity levels are pretty high. And I was captured by this because I live with a manly Jack, who has ankylosing spondylitis, and for a lot of the time that um, we first got together, he had terrible, um, terrible inflammatory pain, really high... um, sort of inflammatory markers, and the MCs and things weren't doing a sodding thing. But he's a guy who was a high country firefighter in his spare time. He did his pack march and his fitness test. He walks up and down mountains. He did everything to keep himself fit. And in my work clinically, we don't see people like this. And this intrigued me. How is it that somebody can have pain but not be bothered by it. So we know that it's a thing. We know that probably we don't study the, this group of people because they don't turn up to see us and it's hard to access them. Well, it's probably not quite as hard to access them as, as people think. Um, I'll tell you more about that in a minute. And to me, this was this really weird thing because people are already are always saying, well, we have to reduce the pain and then people will be able to do stuff. But this group of people were saying, but hold on, I call myself living well, and I, I feel like I'm living well, and yet I've got this pain. And that's just really fascinating, so I wanted to investigate it. So the idea is that people who are living a life um, aligned with their values and the, moving in the direction of what's important in their lives – don't tend to get so bogged down and this pain is getting in the way of everything yes it's there people who've got pain like this are not um, people in my phd study had quite intense pain moderate to severe pain and they acknowledged that it was something that they monitored and they factored into everything they did but it didn't dictate what they wanted to do it was just there And I think that is the state that really, given our treatment of pain is actually pretty poor, particularly for um, neuropathic pain and nociplastic, you know, we've got to be a little bit modest and think that there will will be a substantial number of people for whom pain reduction is just chasing after a dream, and it's not going to be achievable. So we need to do something for this group of people So my idea from my PhD was saying, well, can we learn from this group of people who live well and pull us across to this really large number of people who don't live so well?
0: Yeah, I I think there is an argument out there um, and actually something that I've kind of changed my perspective on over the last year or so. Um, And that's kind of the idea that I, I think that We know that pain is a resistant target and and kind of I I get that and I understand it. But there's also this kind of tension, isn't there, between people wanting pain reduction and the idea that we're kind of looking at living well with pain. And and I think some people kind of see that as giving up or not really taking notice of what patients want. And so I feel there's a bit of a tension, isn't there, between this kind of concept of, We know that we're not that great at dealing with pain. Um, We know that from the data. We know that from our own practices. But at the same time, also, we have a bunch of people that want to um, get rid of their pain. You know, so kind of how do do you, how do we navigate that tension to some degree? Because I think that's a really pertinent kind of situation that we see at the moment.
1: I actually don't see them as being opposing.
0: Okay.
1: Can do both. I think that if we can help people live, um, live a life that is rich and fulfilling and enjoyable and wonderful, and we pursue pain reduction, as it happens, if it happens, that is the best of both worlds. And I'm never saying stop looking. What I so today, I meet with a group of six people who've had pain from between. All oh, eight months, and 1990 was the earliest one. Um, so that's a quite a long time to have pain. And we were going through the things that they've done to try and get rid of it, and the effect that that has. So, and what we came up with in the end was that yes, you have pain, and that's bad enough in itself. But then you have the engaging with the insurance system, if it's because these guys were all under our accident system. So you have to navigate the insurance system or the health system and tell your story a thousand times at least. And then you get referred to someone else and you've got to wait for that referral to eventuate and for the appointment to arrive. And one of the guys laughed and said, well, how many years have I sat in waiting rooms? While I'm waiting and I'm waiting for my pain to go before I do things that matter
0: Mm.
1: wouldn't it be awesome if we could offer the best of both worlds that you can live as well as do have a bit of wiggle room a bit of flexibility around what you do and how you can fulfill what's important in your life and look for pain reduction yeah no incompatible
0: I think that I am of the uh, kind of the agreement that, you know, that we should never stop, especially if it's because I think that the idea of being person centred means that if a person or a patient has a goal of pain reduction, that we probably have to listen to that. You know, it, it would be imposing our values, wouldn't it, on people to say, oh, well, we can't get rid of pain, so let's try something else. But maybe the idea is not to is never to take it away as a target, but maybe not always put it as a primary um, or, or or maybe not make everything contingent on getting rid of pain.
1: That's probably more more the way I go about it. So I ask, what what would you be doing if your pain wasn't such a problem for you? Because the reason that people want their pain gone, is so that they can sleep so they can do up their shoes so they can go walking so they can spend time with their mates go to work not have to engage with this awful health system or insurance system and not have to tell their story to a thousand people and not get that sideways look from their friends as you look fine but you're not doing stuff yeah. and that's i think the way that i like to to pose it to people so if you want pain reduction what are you going to do with that pain reduction? If it's not so bad, what are you going to do then? And couldn't we start doing some of those things now? Because what we know is that the relationship between pain intensity and disability isn't very straightforward. Mm. So we have lots of people with high levels of pain, but not that much disability. I think the correlation from very early studies by Maine and um, on oh, colleagues was about 0.4, uh, R.4, 0.4, so not actually a very high correlation.
0: Yeah, kind of a moderate one.
1: Yeah, and what that suggests to me is that when we focus on the pain intensity and we neglect to, to deal with the other stuff, the fact that their mates don't want to talk to them anymore and they can't go for wheel driving and their relationships fall all over and they hate their job, what we're doing is... is doing a disservice to people because that's what makes life worthwhile. We call it dead man's goals. You know, a dead man doesn't feel any pain. <laughs> yep, and I got that one from Kevin Vowles. That's oh,
0: okay. dead man's goals. Yeah. Oh, I, so, I, like the, uh, I like the analogy. <laughs>
1: yeah. So if you're dead, you're not going to feel pain, and that's, that's great. Or you could put it like this. If... I could take all your pain away, but you can't spend any time with your children, ever. You can't work, you can't um, have friends, and you can't go and drink or socialise. Would that be okay?
0: Yeah, I like like that because you're you're kind of, with people it's kind of, you know, what would you do if the pain wasn't there? And and sometimes I think that that there's such a myopic view on into pain and onto pain, which is completely understandable. That kind of we don't. I think part of our role sometimes is helping people see what's outside of pain as well. Yeah. And you you know from from my experience, you just find that there's such a hyper focus on on pain itself and pain reduction that it seems like everything else is is kind of secondary. And yeah.
1: think that comes from us often as health professionals we've so we have some really contradictory beliefs and attitudes towards pain here we have women in childbirth most intense pain in the world believe me i've been there twice and i had an epidural only once
0: i'm not going to challenge you on this bronze you're not
1: (laughs) But, but the current trend in childbirth in new zealand anyway is that you shouldn't use analgesia you should be able to manage this Childbirth is not pain-free by any stretch of the imagination, it hurts and yet we normalise this experience and we say it's fine, you can get through it, you'll be absolutely fine, you don't need to have anything, you can get through. But we don't have that attitude for people who report maybe four out of ten on a numeric rating scale, we say oh oh, that's, that's bad, we should do something about that. Or when they say that, you know, at a five or a six, we start, oh, that's, that's pretty serious, you know, we better do something. So I think w- as health professionals, we've got a really weird, skewed view of what pain means. We know there are people that willingly, voluntarily go through really painful stuff. Look at our marathon runners, our weightlifters, um, the guys that are training for, we've just had the coast-to-coast, coast, so that's running across New Zealand or with the New Zealand in one day. Um, you know, that is hard work, and it hurts. We've also got people who go and do body suspension. They stick bloody great huge hooks into their, their body, and then they're it off the ground so that they're entirely, their weight is entirely carried through those hooks. And that seems somewhat kinky, but people manage it, and they do it regularly. I've watched them tattoos I had my first tattoo on my foot it hurt yeah you know we do this and yet when it comes to disease or illness or uh, musculoskeletal pain where it's probably intermittent or moderate and I'm thinking of my cranky shoulder here you know we treat that as if we should have no pain whatsoever and life must stop until we find it you know that we can get the cure and I yeah.
0: wonder, we do that. I, I, think, yeah. I think kind of what you've probably hit on, and something that I, I, I suppose I talk about a fair bit is kind of, it is a bit about the meaning, isn't it, of what yeah. what what's behind it. And I think maybe one of the differences we see between uh, chronic musculoskeletal pain and some of the things that we've talked about is actually what you get at the end, and also perhaps the the, the fact it's quite time limited. If that makes sense. And I think that we are as human beings, we're probably willing to endure a bit of pain for some kind of outcome. So you've got a beautiful, you've got two beautiful children. You know, you've got a wonderful tattoo. If you're into the suspensions... If you're into the suspension stuff, then I, I, I hope something good happened at the end.
1: <laughs> no, but I did listen to the... I asked these guys, why are you doing this? What would persuade you to do it? And they gave reasons like, it's a challenge. Um, yeah. I want to prove something to myself.
0: So that sense I've of... I want to
1: celebrate, yeah. I want to yeah. celebrate yeah. weight loss in the case of one woman. Um, I want to show that I've got that capability. And similarly with things like... Um, Ritual tattoos from Samoa in particular, but also Maori, where the tattoos are painful because they're done with a very blunt um, tooth, and it's it's tapping, it's shark's tooth and it's tapping, and it's pretty painful. It's nothing like you know the little fine lines that I've got, and the purpose is not to have the tattoo at the end of it; it's to go through that process yeah, to
0: show that to, to show, show you that nothing. endurance and that
1: the commitment to being a member of this tribe. So, yeah, I think meaning is a really important thing. And when we think about chronic musculoskeletal pain in particular, there's not a lot of meaning. So I've been looking at some well, history. Well, not,
0: certainly not positive meaning.
1: No. Well, yeah, it's pretty meaningless and it doesn't have value.
0: Yeah. But I
1: looked at some, um, some history and I was looking at the way that in pre-sort of probably – 1700s, 1800s, that because religion, particularly in say Europe and England, was fairly um, was fairly important, and that was, the belief was that you know you were showing your capability, your stoicism, your resilience yeah. by enduring. We don't have that in a secular society very much. So the meaning yeah. that was attached to having this experience has gone. And along came anaesthesia and and drugs and and analgesia. And suddenly there was no need to put yourself through this. Mm. So pain's got lost. Persistent pain in particular has lost its, um, the value that it could have had for some people, which makes it pain.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I think that, do you think then, here we go, uh, uh, and maybe this is part of living well with pain is that some I think that sometimes we kind of lose sight of of how much meaning family has and we lose sight because we take it for granted don't we that that, you know we take we take these things for granted and suddenly when we don't have them anymore maybe that's when you when it becomes you know more of a problem I certainly probably don't consider very much in my life I enjoy the process of seeing friends and doing things, but maybe I don't consider it um, as much as I would if I didn't have it. Uh, and I, and I think that sometimes with people, maybe we need to kind of make make meaning again out of some of these things. Help, you know, just help uh, that kind of appreciation again. Do you, what, what do you what do you think about that?
1: I I totally agree. I I've talked it. Again with my participants, not this group, but a couple of um, groups ago, when I had a bunch of Māori guys who were saying that they'd lost their relationships with their mates, they'd lost mana or prestige in the tribe, they'd lost that connection with their whānau, they isolated themselves, and the, the depth of oh, profound sadness and in, in their isolation that they were feeling, and shame, really, because they weren't who they knew they wanted to be, was um, I was incredibly touched and watched them begin to sort of open up and do things that mattered to them, you know, whether it was just go down and watch the rugby league or maybe jump on the bike, the motorbike, and polish it even, um, just so that they could connect again with something that was the person that they believed themselves to be. Because one of the things I think pain can persistent pain can do is it can erode your sense of who you are so you become pain instead of me and what i try to do within the processes that i use is say well what makes you feel like you again what little things yeah.
0: would make you feel more like you and i think sometimes that we don't always see the link between those two things. That's the problem is that maybe the, the, the medical system is so dominated by the idea of pain and so less of the person or the other that yep. we don't connect, connect these dots. We, you know, why why is my sense, you know, why is this sense of loss about my life? How is that connected to my pain? Because mm. pain is pathology. Pain is damaged. Pain is, is whatever we need to find to cut it out or to repair it. And
1: You've got a sore shoulder. So why is that bothering your whole sense of who
0: you are? Yeah, as, because, well, yeah. these things aren't connected, are they, in that kind of positivist? No, but what I mean is is these things are connected, of course, but not within often the, the medical system that gives us analgesia or the medical system that yeah. operates And looking at at the the disease as a
1: separate process from the person who's experiencing the illness,
0: sickness, and and that's exactly the point of kind of what we've discussed before, generally over drinks in places like San Diego. (laughs) It is kind of you know, and I've always been teetotal when I whenever I travel and do
1: absolutely not a drop past your lips.
0: No, no, no. I'm a total saint, Um, but. (laughs) There's no pontification by the fireside. Um Nothing. but you know that that kind of this is what we need to sometimes help people recognise is that we do see these things as being connected, because often yeah. people feel these profound emotional losses, but they don't always know that they are connected with their pain and their and what's occurring, because the the, the kind of positivist. You know, biomedical system has separated them and we have at a massive social level, a societal level, this belief in what medicine is and what it does. And it often doesn't include the person in their values and goals.
1: Fury, Fury really does it. And I guess the... For me as as an occupational therapist this is fundamental to the professional perspective which is that as we do things in life everyday things we're expressing who we are and we're also becoming this new you know we continue growing and, and developing and so we ot's would tend to view the person and their the things that they do as being an expression of who they are so pathology might limit what you can do, but there's always a way around it. Whereas I think if we're looking at a pathological, pathoanatomical view or a biological only view, we miss that. We start to say, oh here's the knee, or here's the shoulder, or here's the sore, or oh, failed back. Don't even get me started on that. And I think that's something that l- removes the humanity from our treatments if we forget the meaning the value the connection with with what life is actually about which is not about it actually comes right back to the who definition of health which is that it's not the absence of disease it's it's more than than that yeah and that's a fundamental i suppose it reflects the time that i did my training in the in the 80s the early 80s that that was a really important concept that health is more than just not being sick. Health is about flourishing and and all of that stuff. And maybe we've forgotten it.
0: Yeah, I I think sometimes if you're working with people with long-term persistent pain, that even if you just got rid of the pain, suddenly one day you woke up without the pain, it wouldn't mean that everything in life would be perfect and back to normal. No, in fact,
1: it. very often not.
0: Yeah, and, it, that, and that's the know, point.
1: By the time you get that cure, um, you've lost your job, your relationships fallen over, you've had to sell your house because you couldn't afford to live there because you weren't working, and you don't have any mates anymore, and you've forgotten what you used to do for fun.
0: Yeah, and like, that wouldn't be flourishing.
1: Fun, no, and, and fun's the first thing that drops. And fun and social times are the first thing that people stop doing when they're really sore. And yeah. then they stop doing the work stuff and then they stop doing you know the basics of self-care so we forget that i often start with what would make you feel like you had a bit of joy in your life but a bit of fun in your life so we start there and it's not you know often it's just a little thing like the guys that have to go out on their motorbike or we've got a tap that really he likes scuba diving so his his current exercise is putting on his weight his wetsuit and his weight belt and his mask and snorkel and going to the pool and Mm. he's doing his exercise in the pool so he's exercising but it's because it's meaningful and it helps him do something that he really wants to be able to do that is and that was a physio that did that my god
0: that's (laughs) so so, sometimes you know what it sounds, we talk a lot about helping people make sense of their pain, right? And I think mm. that that is such a such thing, but almost helping people make sense of their lives, if that yeah, makes yeah. sense. Because helping people make sense of their pain is still quite pain focused, isn't it? You know, if you're helping people make sense of their life, who they are and what they are sometimes without this thing, then then that's really the the, the, the major sense making process maybe.
1: Yeah, it is about so this is something I found in my in my PhD that it is about reconceptualising, reoccupying, feeling like you're inhabiting the you that you want to be. And the you that you want to be, your self-concept, is reflected in what you do, what you value, mm. your your daily routines and habits and who you connect with and that sort of stuff, and and if we don't look at that, then we are not helping that person in their process of becoming well.
0: We're yeah. just
1: keeping them from being ill.
0: Uh, you know, I, I think. Do you think? I mean, this is part of uh, part. This is quite uh, for for many people, it would be quite a new concept, wouldn't it? You know, whether you're whether you're a patient or a healthcare professional, and you've been in the system, or you've been to see a lot of doctors, and suddenly you're faced with this different version of what rehab is this different version of therapy do you feel like people have to be ready to go down that journey you know that you will meet you will meet some people where it you you know do, do people have to have reached a point whereby this is acceptable as treatment that this fits their perception of treatment
1: i think you can do it from quite early on if you Bring in the concept of and, not or. So if you
0: yeah, I like say,
1: that. I like and that. we're going to look at doing your pain. And by the way, at the same time, we're going to do the stuff that helps you feel more more normal, which is um, I have to say, occupational therapy. But You're it's not, not right. about giving out gadgets. It's about saying what makes you feel good and how can I help you do that.
0: But what I really like, I think, is that maybe physio or chiro or osteo or occupational therapy or whatever you know, my personal belief is these things shouldn't look that different just simply because you are working with people in pain who we have a similar evidence base. We have a similar bunch of people. So why do we work in all these different ways? Really, there should be looking at life values. It should, you know, I don't I I don't understand the kind of how we kind of tend to chop it up and look at it differently.
1: Well, we think about where we start. We start as different professions, and then some of us get fascinated by pain and pain rehab and pain stuff, and then we start to merge. And I guess I was really lucky in my um, learning about pain and working in a in an interprofessional pain management centre, where the team allowed that to happen. In fact, fostered that crossover. And so for me, it's very comfortable for me to talk about drugs um, that, you know, why this person's been given these drugs and what they're meant to do. And I'm quite happy to talk about exercise, just as I'm sure the physios that I work with also, like this one, send, send their chaps off to the pool with their scuba gear on because they see this as being part of what we do. I would dearly love to just shred all the labels and say, actually, we need, a bit like we do with pain specialists, pain medicine specialists. They start from their original discipline. You know, they might be orthopedic surgeons, anaesthetists, rehab physicians, or, or um, osteopaths, no, not osteopaths, who am I thinking of? Occupational physicians. And then they do a two-year course for the um, Australasian College of Pain Medicine. And at the end of it, and everybody does the same stuff, And at the end of it they come out as pain physicians pain specialists why can't we do that you know can we stop the squabbling over which bits physio and which bits chiro and how dare you do psychological stuff because it's rubbish and you know that's just silly yeah no no, i
0: i I agree you know especially we're all working with the same people uh, and it kind of reminds me of that kind of elephant is you know everyone's touching a different bit of the elephant and seeing it as a different thing but what I really liked a moment ago and I think you touched on really you hit the nail on the head for what we started off at the beginning discussing which is this idea so it only took us half an hour to come round to the well, come back to that good. yeah
1: <laughs> and you're not, even, you're not even having anything to drink
0: no Alcohol. no no it's word. Well, it's, it's yeah it's why it took
1: us at, that long
0: <laughs> drinking at 6 30 in the morning you know I've look, i I don't i try not to drink alcohol before nine bronnie you know i find that it's a slippery slope um (laughs) so but i think you hit the nail on the head and i think this comes back to the point of are we kind of moving away from people's goal of pain in that we're talking about the and or the or and that that for me such a a a good comment such it really resonates me with me because i i think that that's the point isn't it that we can answer these questions a little bit more, not always with an alternative, but with with an end. So we are looking to to get to your goals of being pain free. But we also know that we could probably draw some other things out of you. We can make sense of pain and of life, and we can work towards some short term and some long term targets. And it's this idea of the and and not the or. And I, I find that quite profound.
1: That's why I like acceptance and commitment therapy as my sort of key clinical model. And I've, you know, I've listened to and read a lot of different approaches to pain rehabilitation, pain management. I still don't know what to call it. Pain stuff. Um, And and for me, it
0: allows us to do
1: it. Pain stuff, yeah. (laughs) But, you know, I, I think that if we look at the predicament that people, have when they're experiencing pain, it's that it takes over the things that they enjoy. So if we can find ways to wiggle past it, and there's never, my experience is that there's never one single bullet that does everything for that person. It's almost always a mixture of bits and pieces, and they might pick up something that they use in this context and use something else in a different context. And over time, we get smarter at being able to do stuff with, without flaring the pain up, or with the pain actually receding almost completely. And I think that's my goal with people, is pain's, you know, it's not the be-all and the end-all. It's a nuisance. It's something I notice for myself. I notice when I'm sore, and I factor it in. but. If I want to go and have a riotous night in the hot tub at San Diego, I know I'm going to pay for it the next day. But I did that willingly and knowingly.
0: Yeah, you it's your sure, yeah. That's what we want to do. That you, know, you still have knowledge. a of control with that. Yep.
1: it's about my choice, my decisions. What I'm what I'm frustrated with is that um, many people are saying you must do this to get rid of their pain and they're not giving people the idea that actually it's the person's own decision their own choice and it's the person that's making the decisions every single day about what they're going to do to live yeah because they're not not with us 24 7 thank goodness um and i you know i love my patients but i really don't want to see them for 10 years But I do want them to be independently choosing what works in their life. So what I've found is that having a wide range of different ways that you can find your own way um, and apply different things at different times gives people that chance to make their own decisions without feeling like it's a formula or, you know, the physio made me do three sets of 10 and it's got to be in Lycra and I've got to go to the gym when actually I like line dancing. I don't like line
0: dancing. It's all right, bro. This is a safe space, Bronze. You can you you can you can you can, you know, we we're fully open to all of your proclivities, it's fine. No,
1: just the, it's the shudder when I start thinking of of not line dancing, but lycra in the
0: gym. I like I like the way you shudder more at lycra than you do at line dancing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, what sorry, you, but what you me. kind of covered there a little bit is yeah. is kind of a values based approach. Uh, and, and and that kind of ties into, I know that you do a fair bit with acceptance and commitment therapy. And um, that brings me, I, I suppose that, that brings me on to, to another line of, of kind of questioning, which sound, makes me sound like the police. I'm not the police, I promise. They, I'm, I'm too short to, to, they wouldn't have let me into the police. But where do you see kind of act fitting in with, with rehab? What do you see the kind of, I, I mean, I'm going to ask you to boil it down a little bit here, but what do you see as kind of the essence of what you're trying to achieve with with acceptance and commitment therapy in, in your line of work?
1: Um, most people who have pain are willing to experience pain if it's worth it. Right. You know, people go through um, a hip replacement and it's not exactly pain-free. And they do it because it's worth it because they think that at the end of it i'm going to have this really good result and i think it's the same with say going for a long motorbike ride and you've got a sore back that people will do do it even if it's sore even if it increases your pain if it's worth it so and most of the people that i work with have given me examples of where they they think they're going to get told off because they've blown their you know, paying budget and they've got a major flare-up and it's a total calamity, not for them because it was worth it, but they're f- afraid that the person that's treating them will think that they've failed or they've done the wrong thing. So to me, ACT is about being willing to do stuff that's a bit uncomfortable at times because sometimes they've told, you know, we'd work with somebody to say, actually, it might be a good idea to try not doing as much as what you are doing people that really push themselves but might be doing something that feels a bit uncomfortable but is it worth it and is it working does it work because act is about being able to respond flexibly to the demands of whatever situation we're in and while some of us might experience pain like I do others others of us experience dis- disappointment or we don't want to feel ashamed or we, we don't want to feel angry or we have you know, we don't want to feel like we've stuffed up. So we do whatever we can not to experience those those things. And sometimes that can be a really positive thing. If you're a bit of a perfectionist and you don't want to disappoint somebody, you'll work really hard to, to achieve something. Yeah. It works until you're in a situation where you've got the flu and you've got three kids at home all with snotty noses as well and you can't do it. And then you feel awful. So ACT can apply then by saying, hold on, is that working? Is it worth it? No, beating yourself up because you can't do stuff because you're actually really sick isn't flexible. It's being quite rigid. And I think ACT is about that. It's about being willing to change tack to achieve things that are really important in your life.
0: You you have to be pretty self-aware to be able to achieve that though, don't you? There has to be a level of self-awareness to be able to do that.
1: I think it grows. And that's another one of the processes in in ACT is to sort of stand back from just reacting and just take a moment to notice. It's a really big part of ACT is to just stop for a minute. What is happening in the here and now? And then giving yourself that little moment of space To decide what do i want from this what is my choice do i want to take this action and blow it or not and that's an ongoing you know lifelong process we'll Well, blow it
0: yeah but (laughs) we do human beings we're all so autonomic in ways aren't we you know in the way that we think and the way that we act and we don't and you know and they talk about when it comes to things like behavior change they talk about these things quite extensively you know that human beings don't act rationally they act quite automatically, they're very, um, they're, their environment and what's around them affects the way that they behave. And sometimes it's really, really difficult to break away from, from that, I, I find. And uh, um, that yes. must be a process, mustn't it? It must be an ongoing process.
1: And I think it's lifelong from when we're wee kids and, you know, we cry at the drop of a hat. Um, we cry because we're hungry. We cry, cry because the colour of the food is wrong. We're two and a half.
0: I um, still do that, Bronnie, sometimes. Oh I must yeah, be honest. I
1: thought so. Red cabbage is just <laughs> wrong. <laughs> but, you know, we learn over time that it's not okay to do that. And maybe then we kind of get used to maybe it's okay to have red cabbage now and then. Just don't ever give me pumpkin and parsnip and carrot mashed together.
0: It is the devil's... Well, in, in a small <laughs> jar, you mean?
1: <laughs> oh, oh, it's just... My mother used to call it golden potato. It wasn't. It was disgusting.
0: I like the way she, she, she tried to give you some different values there, didn't she? She tried yeah. to slip it past it, you.
1: She just liked it. Yeah. But I think the idea that we can um, we can reframe things, we can think differently about things, if we... Um, in an ongoing way, just pause. And that's one of the fundamental skills in ACT, is to stop and notice. And we can call it mindfulness, it is, but it's not an, um, I'm doing my mindfulness, it's in the moment, it can be in the moment, and all the time. So, you know, part of mindfulness is noticing that your mind is having a go at you or doing a bit of a chatter. It's easy for your mind to do that, the hard part is noticing that you've done it. The easy part then is to bring your mind back to what you wanted to focus on, which might have been your breath. And you do that over and over and over. And it's not that your mind, you stop your mind from wandering. It's yes, you that
0: recognize you it.
1: notice and you bring it back. In, in developing that particular skill, we learn to be able to do that when you're cleaning your teeth. When you watch your kids drawing on the walls, when you see the dog digging up the garden, you know this is. When you watch that person overtaking in front of you and slamming on their brakes and then shouting at you because you're too slow.
0: Yeah, I must admit, I haven't quite, um, I haven't quite managed to be mindful and disconnect in the car yet. I'm, w- I'm working at that one. It, that's yeah. the real challenge for me. Maybe because okay. it's such an. I'm going to blame the, you know, the autonomic process of driving. Um, for that one
1: we do it because it's it's simple and you know our brain says or our mind likes to find simple ways of doing it but they're simple and not that workable sometimes they are workable though sometimes it's okay to go on to autopilot when you're driving the same route every day and you don't need to think about
0: much and that happens i think you know often with with people that 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 have pain is that it becomes it become that all the behaviours and the feelings become these just, you know, they are just the same everyday occurrences. And maybe part of our role sometimes is just to come in and add something different, to discombobulate a little bit.
1: Oh, I love that word. I, I see it as sort of adding a bit of spice um, in, in a disruptive, to be a disruptor but do it in a way that's not destructive. So we can disrupt by poking or prodding or suggesting something that's a bit off the wall if it's me um, or we can poke and prod and put people down I don't want to do the latter but I do want to make a suggestion, I wonder what you did today that was fun and what would you do tomorrow that was fun
0: But Bronze, is this healthcare? Isn't this just fluffy, wishy-washy you know psychological stuff, this isn't hard pathology is it?
1: It's not hard. But, well, it is underneath it all. It's neurobiology and yeah, there's some really, really hard, crunchy science behind it. But what it does, what I've found is if you get somebody starting to do something that they love, that what they then have is a reason for beginning to do um, the things, that, you know, learning the strategies that will help them do that thing. Because prior to that, it's theory. So you can talk about pacing till the cows come home, and planning and whatever skills that people really don't enjoy. But until they want to do something,
0: yeah, the underlying meaning, yeah. Yeah.
1: One of the one of the guys in my PhD study was a guy who didn't like. He was. He called himself a big fat blob, and then it, he had um, juvie arthritis, and then he wanted to become a racing car driver when he was about 16 or 17, and he suddenly realized that if he wanted to do that, he had to go to the gym. And he went to the gym, and now he goes for three hours a day. I think that's mad because he's like her, but that's fine. But, you know, before there was a reason and a purpose and some, some underlying value to it, it didn't matter. And I think that's the same. If we can help somebody do something that's fun, they gain a sense of mastery and positivity and achievement. And then out of that, they say, oh, hold on, I might be able to do that better if I, and they start to put in some of these strategies that may have never had any meaning for them prior to that. And I think that's a really a living thing, rather than I'm going to give you a recipe to live by. It's more living, flexible, and elastic.
0: Yeah. And which are all, you know, I think they are are very important, Uh, important terms, not just for people, but also for us. I mean, my process of working with people is probably mostly about my flexibility and my elasticity as much as theirs. You know, and I think this is what we need to help um, people understand. And something that I think you do really well is is kind of uh, uh, do we need to have some of these values as, therapists as much as we need to instill these values to to people with pain because I don't think we always have them we have a very fixed view of what is therapy what is treatment what are we trying to do and sometimes we're not very elastic and we're not very flexible and I think that's a really important thing that we all need to build
1: the idea of being person-centered but I think sometimes that's done that's given a bit of lip service you're person-centered as long as I can set the goals and I'll tell you what to do and when you've got there. That's not really person-centered. And the idea of being at the same level that I collaborate with the person that I'm working with because I don't, I'm not expert in their life, they are, but I've got lots of knowledge that I've learned from other people who've gone through similar stuff. And together we can pull our resources and make something of it and i've actually got on my business card i have a little saying it's in maori it says nuku te no te roroa ka ora ai te iwi what that means is with your basket in my basket the people will live so we have to share resources we have to as the person trust us and share stuff that's important to them, we can share stuff that we think might be useful. And then it's only once we give it to each other yeah. that the magic happens. It's no use holding on to it ourselves or saying, You've got to do it my way and bullying the person to but do I it.
0: What you're describing is a kind of process of coming to a shared meaning or coming to a shared goal or shared decisions where two people have had an input into a situation to find, you know, through a process of kind of, you know, um, negotiation. I don't like to use the word negotiation sometimes because it sounds a bit oppositional, doesn't it? Negotiation. Or
1: oh, we're collaborating. We, yeah,
0: we're a collaboration. collaboration. There you go, Bronze. Trust you to come up with a better word. Um, so I, I don't always think we see the process as a collaborative process. And I think that's part of the problem that we that we can sometimes have.
1: I think we would like to be expert after all we've spent all this money and time learning the stuff so it's got to be worth something and I don't want to devalue what we learn because it's because of what we learn that we can apply that in our deeper listening to what this person's saying and we can add or we can you know extend our explanations but Until we recognise that this person's going to go and leave us and they may never come back or they're going to live all those hours when they're not with us. And if we don't bring, you know, if we don't do something that rings their bells, we might as well be wasting our time and then we won't be satisfied in our job. You know, and that's, it's hard because it means that sometimes the person won't want to do what we think they should. Um, And that's hard because we've, we're well, right, aren't we? And so we need to be ready to say, okay, well, maybe this is not the right time for that part. Let's wait until you are and keeping the door open. And I take that from the motivational interviewing stuff that we don't slam the door in the person's face and say, oh, off you go, you don't want what I've got. We leave the door open so that when they're ready, when they've brooded on it and maybe they've struggled and floundered a wee bit, then they'll feel okay to come back to us. They won't come back if we say, well, you know, go away.
0: Yeah, I I think that's such an important point, isn't it, that sometimes, you know, when people go and buy a car, they don't go and buy a car straight away. Some people go in and if the deal's right, they buy the car. Some other people will go away and they'll think about it and they won't come back or they'll come back in six months and we that's again forgetting the idea of the the other isn't it that different people analyze things differently they come to things in their own time and just because you present someone with this information from your phd or your masters that you've worked long and hard on we if we if we're thinking about the other then we also appreciate going to be a period of um someone thinking and deciding and all these other things. And I think that we forget that, don't we, sometimes? We forget that it's it's a two-person thing.
1: And we've all got things that we haven't got around to doing. Every single one of us have got some bit that we haven't got around to doing. We know we ought to. We know it would be better if we did it, but we haven't done it yet. And it might be because we don't know how, but most of the time we do know how. And I'm thinking of things like filing or um, deleting old files on my on my computer.
0: Oh, uh, bronze.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And for us, you know, doing the tax returns and all
0: oh, bookkeeping invoices. Do these things? <laughs> they, do they lack meaning often? Do you know what I mean? They they kind of can I live my life without doing deleting old files? Does it have that much meaning to me?
1: In the short term, they don't have much of a nice payoff, do they? It's you know, it's a case of the not urgent, not important.
0: Yeah. Well, I can buy a new computer at some point once it's all filled up.
1: Yeah. I'll just add another hard drive. You don't well, want to. Know there how you many go. Hard you've
0: got. It allows me to do things that I actually enjoy and care about.
1: <laughs> but I, I think sometimes we don't do those things because they are hard. Yeah. Because they could have a nasty shock at the end. Oh, I've actually forgotten to do something that was important. Or yeah. oh my computer has now died. My <laughs> yeah. problem. Um or we've got ca- caught up in something else that's more important. Like it is fun to be with your family. Well, sometimes it's fun to be with your family.
0: <laughs> um, I like I like the little caveat in there in there. Very good problems.
1: Most of the time. Um yeah. we you know, we'll we'll look for short term Benefits and we won't necessarily look at long term benefits. And I think that's something that we can work with people to identify. So the short term effects of a particular approach to doing something might be really good. Um, Resting is a really good example. If you saw, having a rest feels really good. But if that's the only strategy that you use and you use it all the time and everywhere, chances are there's going to come a time when you have to do something and you're not up for it and you can't just rest. So if you have lots of different options, then you have more of a chance to um, pick a way that will work. And that is sometimes saying, so what's important about this thing that I need to do? And I think about us as clinicians. Some of us really don't enjoy reading dry old I don't know, for me biomechanics would be the thing that I, I really find quite hard work. Mm. Um, I'm not naturally a mathematician, but I like pictures and so biomechanics works for me because I can draw pictures. But there's maths. And what I have to do is think about why why is that important? How you know what is it about doing that that it's going to be meaningful? And I have to look for that. And once I've done that, then it becomes a lot easier.
0: Yeah. So if
1: one of my values is I really want to be knowledgeable about this area so that I can shred it and tell biomechanists they're completely wrong, um, that's not true, by the way. They're just mainly wrong. But I have to do the study first. So then instead of I have to do the study, it's I want to do the study so I can understand, so I can understand where they're coming from. That gives me an advantage because if somebody's trying to shred apart what I do and they haven't bothered to learn, say, some psychology or they don't understand um, some of the stuff that I've spent years learning, then it's not going to be that hard for me to shred their argument. So we have to be, we have to think about what's underpinning. Yeah. Find the stuff out.
0: And I, I actually think a lot of what happens in therapy. Again, whatever type of therapist you are, I think that often it's our values that are being rewarded. So if I, if I value manual therapy, then people are going to get manual therapy. God damn it! You know, oh, if I, super therapist. <laughs> yeah. If I and and I think this is the problem, isn't it? It's that. I have a set of values as a therapist. I have a set of things that I gravitate towards and I enjoy. And I actually think we even see this with the pain science world, you know, that it fits my values to talk about pain and to understand lots about microbiology. That's a new term, by the way, but I think it fits very well. Um, So so it fits my values as a therapist about what's important. And actually, we don't consider the values of others enough in the rehab process, and we consider our values, our expertise, our learning.
1: And that we can do that with other disciplines inside this area as well. You know, um, I value what I do, but I don't value what this, you know, psychologist does, or the social
0: worker does, or the the physio
1: does. And then we end up tearing ourselves apart and not providing the person who were there for, in the first place, with the very best. And they're left floundering.
0: Uh, Um, But that's the lip service you uh, talked about, isn't it? That we'll talk about being person-centred, but I have an idea of what person-centred is that fits my values. Whereas being a person-centred person is actually about considering the values of the other person. So,
1: for example, somebody... um, People often say, well, what about this older person who wants to be told what to do? And how can you be collaborative and person-centred? Well, actually, to be person-centred would be to understand that that's where they're coming from, to understand why, and to offer them that. Isn't that being person-centred? And yeah. that is hard because we get stuck into the one rut.
0: But we all, I suppose that how, – how does that then – we're going to have one more question because we've been waffling on for a while. So but, how does that fit in with the idea of – collaborative I suppose because we have the idea of being person-centered but then we also have to do we have to mix this person-centeredness with an idea of what's realistic and what's in the evidence base and that kind of thing and I suppose that is that where we come to some kind of person-centered but also collaborative situation are those the more the more I'm saying it and the more I'm thinking it and this is kind of how my mind works which is just a complete Scary place. Um, totally it's a scare. Cluster. Don't ever go into my mind. It I would be the worst be. horror film ever. Um but but be entertaining. Where does the kind of how is there a tension between being collaborative and being person-centred in a way?
1: No, I don't think so, because collaborative means that to me anyway, that I'm listening to what this person's looking for. I'm understanding right. um what's their main concern? I'm saying, why is this person presenting in this way at this time and what's maintaining their predicament? And I want to be able to get my head around that first. And that's the very first step of being person-centered. Yeah. Then once you understand, now, why does this person want to be told what to do? Well, maybe because they don't know enough. Maybe because they're scared they'll do make the wrong choice. Maybe they've tried it in the past and it didn't work. So then that helps me navigate a way through that. If you're afraid of making a judgment call, this patient, um, and what they want me to make the decision for them, can I make the decision quite little so that it's I can give a little um, decision on their behalf, they can try it. And I often talk about experimenting. Would you give yeah, this a go?
0: Yeah, I, I, I'd use that term as well, yeah.
1: Yeah, so that, that it's a case of, in the end, I might make a suggestion, but you're you're going to make the call as to whether this is working for
0: you. Yeah, I'm. I can That's give you comes. In. I can give you a. I can give you some ideas. I can give you some input, but then yeah. again, the, the final decision on this, I suppose, has to come because if they, if someone, even if someone doesn't, they tell you what you want to hear, they're still going to make a decision in whether they do it or not
1: oh, and they'll probably just roll their eyes and quietly walk out and never come yeah, back
0: to Yeah, and, le- and never do it anyway. So so I suppose that, that that's, um, <laughs> that, that's a, a kind of a, a – that that's going to be someone's final decision, isn't it? Not yeah, saying they, to you that I, sounds great, but whether they actually go away and actually get involved.
1: And this whole idea of adhering to treatments, which is such a problem, with, particularly with exercise – is because I think often that we expect somebody to suddenly be able to fit this new thing into their daily routine without recognising just how much effort and work has to go into including some new thing into one's routine. And if we value that, but they don't, they will just, you know, they'll be quiet, they'll move back, they'll look away, they'll say, yes, dear, or something... And they won't do it. And what's the point? So uh, People say to me, it's going to take too long if I I work with them and collaborate. Well, actually, you've wasted your time if you don't, because they just won't do it. Unless they have to be ripe for the plucking. And not very many people who are sore are in that state. Most people are kind of mulling it over and thinking um, what they could
0: do. So, yeah. So look, we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up, bronze, because we've hit the magic hour mark. But really? I, what what a fascinating hour! Um, <laughs> if I was to summarise, um, I'm gonna get all. I'm gonna get a little uh, motivational interviewing. I'm gonna do a little short summary. Um, <laughs> what have I what have <laughs> I what have I got from this for the last hour? And this is the reason why I do it. It's not for anyone else. It's only for my own personal <laughs> personal gain. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But I, I, I think I've picked up this idea of and and or, which I really, really like. The fact that we don't have to create tension between what we want and what they want and what we see as the right path. It has to be this and it has to be this, you know, maybe we need a bit of, you know, that collab- collaborative scenario where we're going to try and involve what we feel that people need and what they feel they need and, and have something in the middle. And I think for me also this idea of values, why do we do things? Um, why do we as therapists do things? Why do people do things? And if it's not, un- you know, it's, all, it's underpinned by what we hold to be important and what we see as, uh, as, as valuable to us and what fits and resonates with us and our ideas. Um, and if we're not tapping into that, then I think sometimes that we're going we're, we're gonna to kind of struggle. Um, would you would you would you say that was fair? A fair summary of those two things? Anything to? Would you like to add to point out where I'm wrong or add to that?
1: I would never say you're wrong, Ben.
0: Never, never. Oh, only because you're too nice. <laughs> I
1: know. Uh, apparently, I'm not nice. I've got a strong opinion.
0: Oh, Bron, that's what I love about you.
1: Bloody, actually. <laughs> but, um, no, I think I think if we can think about that life is more than the absence of pain or disease, that life is about health and growth and flourishing. And if we can recognise that just getting rid of pain doesn't mean that this person's life is now back to normal. It's probably not, it's changed irrevocably because they've had an experience. And that means that they're forever going to wait everything that happens to them in light of that experience. So if we can show as health professionals that we're prepared to listen and understand where they're coming from, because people don't wake up in the morning to make a dumb decision. You know, they make a decision on the basis of the best information they had at the time. And if we can understand how come they've made that decision, we've got perhaps a chance of helping them make some little shifts at the pace they're ready for and then our job becomes a hell of a lot easier and a lot more rewarding. It's um, it's just like it's like magic.
0: And what what I love there is that kind of you you know you've approached this from a really non-judgmental perspective. You haven't you know what you've sought to do there is look at why this person has made a decision, not oh look at that idiot, what what a stupid yeah. decision. And you know yeah. I, I I think that's a very uh, valuable skill and a very self-aware thing to be able to do. Um, and, and I am I'm very much in it of, of, of that perspective. I've been working towards it. I kind of managed to fuck it up most, but that's, you know, but uh, that's my telling. own. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. But bronze, yeah. what a pleasure. Thank you for your well, pearls it's... of wisdom. Thank you for your insight. Um, and I really, I really enjoyed spending this time with you. So I look forward to seeing you again. Um some somewhere in the world and having a gin and tonic.
1: Probably in Kent.
0: We'll try. We could try, Kent. Not, yeah, not, otherwise not, not quite as good as San Diego. I might be in California yeah. at the time, but we'll work okay. it out. So we'll find hurt. each other. We will. We will. <laughs> bye bye, Bronny.
1: Okay, catch you soon.
0: You have been listening to the Core Kinetic podcast. Thank you for tuning in and we look forward to seeing you next time.